Look with me in Psalm 145, Psalms 145, verse 3 and 4. I just knew this was the right word that God had given me. Every message that we've been able to share this weekend, uh, Pastor Don would allude to it. Either that service or the service before I would speak it, he would ju- he'd, he'd quote the verse or he'd just, and I well, thank you, Jesus, or the worship team would just like sing about it right up to the minute I got up and it felt like we'd planned it. Uh, but how many of you know God is the good at orchestrating things yes, like that? And so Psalm 145, verse 3 and 4, I love this. Great is the Lord... And greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. (laughs) I just love that. Next verse. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. Father, we ask your great blessings upon this Mother's Day. Strengthen, encourage, and just, just help us to see how, how awesome, O oh Lord, you have not only been in our life, but you want us to be in the lives that are coming after us. And so as we prepare and we begin to think generationally, we want to thank you that you're a generational God. Thank you for thinking past lunch. <laughs> thank you for thinking. A matter of fact, you're called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You were thinking of the generations to come. And you're a God, Lord, of our children, of us, our children, and our grandchildren. Thank you, Lord, that you want us to deposit. As a matter of fact, you say that if we'll walk faithfully after, after you, that you will bless our children to a thousand generations. And so, God, we just believe that the seed we sow goes into the future. And it blesses those that come after us. So help us, O oh God, on this Mother's Day to recognize our responsibility to pour in to the generations after us. Even as our mothers did, help us to pour in to the generations coming after us and set them up, Lord. Just set them up for blessing. Amen. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everyone say amen. amen. King David uh, wrote this song that we just read the text from. And as, as he was growing older is uh, the time period in which this was written. And he, you know, like a lot of folks, he begins to reflect as you look, uh, as you're growing older. And we don't want to get caught up in looking back all the time. But, you know, sometimes you reflect on the past. And as he began to reflect on, uh, on the past, he realized how great God was. And he was, in this chapter, he's trying to convey it. By verse 4, you see that he's, he's, he's directing this to the next generation. He's saying, one generation shall praise you to another. And so in his heart and his passion, he's wanting to get what God had done in his life into the hearts of the generations after him. And that's why the best is yet to come. If we can, if we can rightly pass the baton of our faith, if we can rightly put the, what God has put in our hearts as moms and dads and grandparents, if we can get that into the generations following us, hallelujah, then the devil is in some real trouble. Amen. How many of you believe he's in trouble today? And so David is growing older and he he reflects on these two amazing things one is the greatness of God in verse 3 he's just uh, going over the top to describe the greatness of God and then secondly he realizes his responsibility to the next generation 
And so first in verse 3, he talks about how great God is. And then immediately it leads him to think, I've got to get this in the heart of the generation. One generation shall praise your works to another. So he started thinking about the necessity of getting his faith, all the miracles, testimonies of all God has done into the next generation. It's important for you to tell them your stories. Tell them what God has done. Share with them some great testimonies. Write it down, even if you're not an author or a writer, begin to write your story down and share them. While I talk about the goodness of God and miracles that He's done so much, my kids are in the place they can jump in midway through the sentence and finish it for me. <laughs> There's that story again, you know. And they'll, they'll start right where I left off because they know about all of how proud I am and thankful for what God has done. So the first thing He does, He admits and uses some over-the-top language attempting to describe God's greatness. Yet he just couldn't find words big enough to honor the sheer size of God's greatness. I mean, of course God is great, yet He's so great that we can't simply praise Him. We've got to greatly praise Him. And so here in in verse 3, look back at it again. He uses three words in one sentence. It's like he's trying to struggle to find a better word, but he keeps coming on the same word. He says, great, greatly, and greatness. Let's let's look at it again with me. Verse 3, great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His Greatness is, so it's, it's like, how do I get greater than great? What's a, what's a word that I can come up with to get to the next generation to describe to you how awesome and wonderful and tremendous and great God is? Well, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and is greatness. <laughs> it's unsearchable. Wow. So I looked up the Hebrew word for greatness here to describe God, and it means that literally that He is so great that even His greatness is beyond finding out. (laughs) So it's like saying, I'm telling you kids, I tell you grandchildren, God is so great. He's so great that He's he's great, and He's he's, he's just great, and and, and, and He's... He's, he's beyond great. I just can't come up with a word. He's just the best. How many of you know that he's the best? And so in their life, you ha- must convey that the goodness of God and greatness of God. And that's why you have to get, uh, you don't want to grow old and complaining and old and bitter and all of that. Because you start putting that into the heart of the next generation. Worst thing you can do is leave church complaining about church. <laughs> in front of your kids and grandkids, you know. And then you're like, I don't know why they won't go to church. Well, you just, you didn't like it. (laughs) You went, but you went on like you hated it. And so it's important for us to have those real conversations about how good God is. Turn to someone beside you and say, get rid of the grumpy you. We, we We don't need the grumpy you. Get rid of the grumpy you. You know, there's a grumpy you. We don't need him. We don't want to be schizo. Let's get rid of the grumpy, grumpy us. And let's just be, go ahead and glorify God in his greatness. Hallelujah. <laughs> and our, our children need to hear that and see that and witness that. You know, as, as time, as one generation slips to another, uh, things change. I know when I started out uh, and got saved when I was 17, 
And uh, I was a hippie, and we had certain style of music that we sang back then, and we started trying to carry it into the church. And so the saints uh, didn't know what to do with us, so they started a service just for us. They had the traditional service and the contemporary service for all. I don't know what in the world's wrong with those Jesus people, those hippies. And so, and so across denominational lines, they create a service just for us. Well, what it did, it disconnected one generation from another because of an unwillingness just to go ahead and get involved in what God was doing in the children and in the next generation. And so we find ourselves fighting for our song. I want to sing my song. Why don't we sing some of them old songs I used to sing back in the day? I'm so mad. I hate church. I can't stand it. I don't know why anymore. Hey, just a preacher preaches too long. I don't like the songs. Hey, kids, y'all to go to church. But, you know... <laughs> It's like somewhere along the line, we just can't, we're just connecting the dots. We're we're not jumping into what God is doing in the next generation. And it's so important for us to just jump in and pull in and become a part of of what God is doing in the next generation. Sometimes it means a little change on our part. (laughs) Let's just move right along. I know that stuff. Maybe that... Maybe that's just a little too much here on Mother's Day. <laughs> but a little change to, so that we can, we can uh, understand and enjoy what God is doing in them. You know, I, I, uh, uh, they're, they're singing a lot of new songs around our church. And, and a lot of things have changed in the church that I pastored for almost 30 years. And we, as we transitioned it to the next generation, I mean, a lot of things began to to change. We did change as much as we could as we got ready in the transition period so that they didn't have to make a bunch. But even as they stepped in, in these first five and a half years or so, they've just been making tremendous changes. Well, the church is just exploding with young people. I mean, young families and kids are coming in, and it's amazing what God is doing. Uh, on Easter Sunday, we had almost 1,300 visitors. Yeah. Visitors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, congregations usually around 1,600, and so there was almost 1,300 visitors. And so they're just uh, coming into the house of God, and people are getting saved, and baptisms every six weeks and all of that. I thought to myself, you know what? This may be a little different style than I sang when I came up. I still think the 70s is like the rockinest decade there ever was. I think it's just the best music. But I got to understand this is a new day. And so I'm going to get excited about what God is doing. You could actually come to church. Baptisms going on every six weeks. Listen to this. People getting saved every Sunday. Whole families coming to church. 1,300 on Easter. And still get an email from an older saint in the church that says, our worship is dead. (laughs) I'm like, you can't see the forest for the trees. Can't you at least get excited about people getting saved and baptized and coming to the house of God? How can you not see that? (laughs) Let's just move right along, praise (laughs) the Lord. And so, God, help us to understand we've got to get this great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable in the next generation. Talk about how good God is. Don't complain about what God's doing. Get excited about God. Get excited about the goodness of God. Get to the place that, you know, some churches, when they're ministering on a Sunday morning, the pastors have a tendency to preach about the TV preachers all the time. This one's up, this one's terrible, this one heeds this, that, and it's complaining about all those guys on TV. Well, that's not good because you might have had a visitor that morning that loved that guy. (laughs) 
And you're like, I'm trying to save them from those preachers. Well, no, we're trying to save them from the devil. Can somebody <laughs> shout hallelujah? We're not trying to get... Uh, hello. And so we're all on the same team. Yes. We're all on the same team. His goodness. God is so perfect in all His ways and His works and His goodness and His grace that it's above our understanding and beyond our description. And then notice in verse 4, he, he's, he's wanting to convey in verse 3 how great God is. Then in verse 4 he says, so from one generation to another. Let's exalt him like that. I think that's important because according to Barna Research, it says that six out of ten young people that grow up in church leave church as adults and never come back. Six out of ten. That's not right. And so he tries his very best to describe the ways David does to uh, everything about God that's super great, indescribable. He goes on in these verses, and we don't have time to go all, uh, uh, into all of them, but look at the next verse, verse 5. I will speak of the glorious honor and majesty and wondrous works. He doesn't just say, I'll speak of the honor and works. He says the glorious honor, uh, the wondrous works. He starts trying to throw adjectives in, you know, to build up and make, make the goodness and the greatness of God even bigger. Verse 7, he says, they shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness. Abundantly talk about the memory of His goodness and sing of His righteousness. Look at verse 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Not just gracious and compassionate, but full of compassion and slow to anger and of great mercy. There's that great again. The Lord is good to all and His tender mercies are over all His works. Through this whole chapter He just starts trying to build up who God is and Brag on the Lord to the next generation and let them know how mighty and and awesome God is. Why, in Psalm 34 and verse 3, he says it like this. He says, I need some help magnifying the Lord. He says, so magnify the Lord with me. Let us magnify the Lord together. You know, by myself, I just can't make him big enough. By myself, I just can't exalt him. But you get a whole church, it gets in their DNA. Everybody in here in front of their kids is bragging on Jesus. All together we begin to magnify. We can't do it by ourselves, but together, hallelujah, we can show our kids just how great our God is, just how good our God is, just how awesome our God is. Oh, amen. I need some help. (laughs) I I need a little help up in here magnifying Jesus. I want to exalt His name. I want to magnify and exalt our indescribable God. And why not? Why shouldn't we do that to our children? Because they're going to face some big problems, big worries, big temptations. So why not know there's a big God? And so we want to magnify Him and exalt Him bigger than anything they'll face in this life. And never underestimate the power of your testimony before your children and grandchildren. We, like David, should be praising God before the next generation. Let me give you three reasons before we close. Maybe just two. We'll uh, we'll stop uh, at the right time. (laughs) I think the first reason we ought to magnify them is because of the supersized joy that children bring in our lives. Every mother in here knows about it. But man, kids bring a supersized joy. The other uh, service a couple nights ago... Young man in the church uh, 
works with the youth, has a little baby, and he's just, they're walking in with that newborn, and I said, honey, did you see that baby? And she's like, uh, she said to me, I've already been there. (laughs) I said, well, let's go look again. And we went over and found him in the aisle, and there's that little baby not that far from being a newborn, and we're just like taken in by that. There's something about it. Every parent, every mother, every grandmother in here, they'll tell you. There's something about, you look at that new baby, you look in its eyes, and you see your future, you see your past, you see your mom, your grandparents, and your own grandchildren. You see something about their eyes, something in their expression, something in them, and it brings you great joy. No wonder uh, Proverbs 17 and 6 says, children's children. That's grandchildren, in case you don't know. Children's children. Grandchildren are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. When the next generation know the greatness of God, it brings you great joy. I look in around our congregation. When I get to be home, it's so exciting, because when I get home, there's uh, uh, my... All of my six kids, uh, three of them uh, are my children, three are my children, (laughs) three of them are my two boys and and girl, and then the other three are the two girls and boy that married my two boys and girl. And so... all their spouses. And I'm telling you, when they get married, they become like your own kids. And so uh, my wife and I often say, instead of three, we have six kids. And man, they, and they, listen, my daughter-in-laws, they love me. Oh, yeah. They think I'm all that. I've already sent them happy Mother's Day wishes. I've been taking care of them. Don't you worry about that. I've been just blessing them, letting them know how awesome they are. I even told my sons, I told my boys, I said, you messed this up. I'm keeping the girls. You can leave. <laughs> I mean, they're that awesome. They're so blessed. And my daughter, she's, she's something, but I spoiled her. I mean, I just spoiled her rotten. And God gave her just the perfect guy. Jesse's such an awesome dad. But even better, he spoils her too. <laughs> He's trying to outdo me. I don't know what in the world he thinks he can do. He can't do that. But... Amen. And they're just so blessed. And then I have 10 grandchildren, 10 grandkids now. Man, oh man, I thought kids were good. The grandchildren come along and and there's such joy that comes. That's why people being saved and coming into the church, that new birth. That's why that just sparks revival. It starts a momentum that you just you don't even have to worry about keeping going. You just just keep reaching people for Jesus and seeing people get saved. Isn't it exciting? Hallelujah. That new life stirs us and brings us into what God has. That's why life in the womb. All you mothers out there, that's why life in your womb holds such promise. Abraham understood that in Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. As a matter of fact, he says these words, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things which uh, be not as though they are. Verse 18 adds, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. You see, so Abraham understood that his legacy wasn't in his accomplishments. 
His legacy wasn't in the, the cattle he owned or the wealth that he possessed or the silver or gold. He understood his real legacy was his children and his children's children. God promised him that he would be the father of many nations. That's your legacy. Your legacy is what I'm doing in you, through you, to your children, grandchildren, and even after you were gone. His greatest legacy was his seed. You know, and there's something about it. I got to tell you, we have a grandson. One of my grandsons is Colin. And Colin is about 11 now. But from the time he was little, even while I was still pastoring, he'd sit beside me on the front row when he got big enough. Loves preaching. And so he's 11 now. But he would... He wanted a Bible on his lap open. We had to get glasses and take the lenses out because he wanted glasses on his head like Papa wore. <laughs> and he'd sit on the front row. And to this day, we have a guest preacher. And when, he's, when the preachers are up preaching, Colin will be on his feet saying, Amen. And pray right on the front row, just sick him to a bulldog to those preachers. <laughs> and they, all of them are like, I want my picture with this little guy. And they all get around Colin because they feel some destiny in his life because of his passion for the love of God. God and Word of God. Well, can I tell you, hallelujah, that's, that's legacy. That's what legacy is. It's not in our stuff. It, moms, it's not in that. It's when you put Jesus in their life, when you deposit into them Christ and because of supersized joy. In Genesis 21, verse 3 and verse 6, we read about the father of joy. His name is, uh, as a matter of fact, Abraham has this son and he names him Isaac. And Isaac means joy or to laugh with joy. He and, he and Sarah couldn't have kids. And so they had this little boy late in life. I'm talking late, late. I'm talking, well, Abraham was, was 99 when she got pregnant and she was 90. Let <laughs> me realize that's late. Somebody say that's late. <laughs> The doctors would have advised against that today. But God blessed them with that little baby boy, and they named him Isaac, which means laughter. And Sarah said in verse 6, it's because God made me to laugh so that everyone around me hears the joy. You know, that's what children do. They bring a supersized joy, and we need that laughter in our church. And we need to think highly of our church and speak highly of our church so that that joy and laughter is in the heart of our children. I want to get an attitude about the house of God. I know that every church has, has problems and every church isn't perfect. I understand that. It's because you're here. That's right. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, people are in the building. And if there's people, then there's, we're not perfect. No church is. And so but I, I love Teresa's dad, Nathan. When her mom was living, she was so faithful. But Nathan didn't get saved until after her mother passed away. He was 60 years old when he gave his heart to God, had never went to church, whole life, never came in the doors of a church. But he'd take them to church and drop them off every Sunday. Well, he knew his wife loved the church. She'd come home, she'd be happy, kids were happy. That blesses a dad. And so he was, he was a sinner, far from God, but he wanted them to be happy and in the house of God. So he'd take them and drop them off. One day he's getting his truck fixed, and Teresa would always ride right by her daddy in his pickup truck. And he pulls in the garage, and the mechanic's fixing his truck, and he's underneath it on one of those dollies, you know. And uh, uh, he's under there talking. He says... Um, uh, do you go to church? And, and uh, Nathan said, no, uh, my wife goes, my kids go. And uh, he said, where do they go? So he told him about the church. And he said, oh, that's that, that's that Pentecostal church where they swing from the chandeliers and, and uh, talk in them tongues. And he said, hey, buddy, uh, I, I come in here for you to fix my truck. Don't talk about my wife's church. 
And so he didn't know. Nathan, Nathan had a short fuse. Nathan was, uh, he's the toughest man in the county. I mean, he whooped just about every man in the county. He was a quick draw artist. Seriously, he was like the John Wayne. I mean, he, he won tw- quick draw contests. He, as a matter of fact, shot himself in the legs with such a hair trigger one time. And then he comes in the kitchen and he's bleeding and, and he says, uh, Bobby Joe, I've shot myself. I'm going to the hospital. Took himself to the hospital. <laughs> I mean, this, this guy is like just unreal. Hit you one time and you're out. That's the toughest guy you ever seen. So anyway, he says, so after a few minutes, the guy starts talking about her church, his wife's church again. Well, he just reached down, grabbed that fellow by the feet, pulled him out on the dolly, popped him in the mouth, said, I said, fix my truck and stop talking about my wife's church. Slid him back up. I just wish, I'm not recommending that we bust people in the mouth that run down our church, but how many think it's, it's kind of strange that a sinner <laughs> likes the church better than some Christians like the church? We ought to have a heart and a passion to just love the house of God, care about the house of God, and, and guard the house of God, speak good about the house of God. Amen. That's good <laughs> preaching right there, Brother Richard. Keep that up. Praise the Lord. I was reading in Genesis chapter 22, and you can see it for yourself. It's right after this story of the baby being born in Genesis chapter 22. And uh, let me read for you uh, verse 2. The Bible says that, interesting story. There's a challenge because of, of uh, this child coming into Abraham's life. But verse, verse 2 says, and he said, take now, God speaking, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moab. The first mention of love in the Bible is the love of a parent for a child. Check it out. This child whom you love. There's a joy. There's something about it. The way we love our children. A father's love. A mother's love. John 15, 13 says that when we were, the greatest love is when we would lay down our life for our friend. I think we should be willing to give that sacrifice for our children. Lay down our life. Oh, well, you like that music, baby. I'll just sing it too. I'm not going to a separate service than you. I'm going to sit on the same road with you and I have to wear earplugs. I'm going to sit with my kids, be in church with my family, and lift high the name of Jesus. I want to make sure that all my children are serving God and my grandchildren see how much I love the church and how great God is. (laughs) You know, I think that there's such joy in children. It's why abortion is such a tragedy. Uh, because it robs us all of a legacy. It's not, it's not just uh, the ending of the life, but it robs a grandparent of future joy, of smiles, of out loud laughter. <laughs> we lose when we lose that child. Everybody loses because there's supersized joy in children. They're not a threat. They're not a problem. They're a legacy. They're a blessing. Hallelujah. Lastly, 
we should praise God before the next generation because it'll bring you a lifetime of comfort. You know, as you grow older and your children are growing and your grandchildren come along, you realize the reality of, you go to, you have a, a wonderful life partner like I've had with Teresa. We'll be married 42 years in June, June 3rd. Amen. I thank God for the mother you've been to our children, to our grandchildren. But we have walked through life together. Um, That's the beauty of working through your problems in your marriage and continuing on just getting beyond some of the struggles that marriages go through is that with time you have so many shared memories and joys and I've stood by Teresa at the gravesite when her mother was buried, when her dad died. She was with me as we walked hand in hand, stood at the gravesite ceremony for my father. <laughs> I lay by her side for a week in the hospital when we thought she was, might not make it from, from a bowel blockage. And... She's been with me through heart surgery. We've done life together. That's a wonderful thing. And so you start realizing these children coming in the hospital room and praying with mama and praying with daddy. And When my father passed away, we all gathered around his, cat, around his uh, bedside in the ICU, and the doctor said he has 15, 20 minutes maybe, you know, and uh, we can keep him unconscious or we can let him stay awake for that little bit of time. And I said, well, let him be awake. We want to sing to him. <laughs> so... Grandchildren and children gathered around Dad there at his passing, and he didn't leave this life alone. Mama was standing on one side, and we were gathered around the the bed. I was on the other side, and all the kids and grandkids gathered around, and we began to sing to the Lord, and we sang Daddy right into the arms of Jesus. He was looking at Mama, had her hand in his, and he's looking at Mama, and just a tear goes down the side of his cheeks smile on his face, and he turned and looked at me. Just a little bit of a nod, it seemed like, as he looked at me. And the life left his body. You could see his chest. You could see the spirit leave the body. This thing is real. You could, you could feel him, the presence of him going into the hands of God Almighty. What a supersized comfort that is. Amen. To not be alone at death. To have your children gathered around you. Not to die alone. In Genesis 46, verse 3 and 4, I won't read it. I'll just share it with you. The Bible tells us that that Jacob Jacob had this experience. God gave him the promise, the prophecy. He said that when you die, Joseph will be there to close your eyes in death. What a comfort that is, that he wouldn't die alone. That's why it was given to him as a prophecy of comfort that your son Joseph will be by your side and he will close your eyes in death. And so when Jacob passed away, Joseph was standing there. 
And when he passed away, he reached up. His life had left his daddy's body and he closed his eyes in death. Hallelujah. (laughs) A promise to him. You won't be alone when that time comes. How awesome it is to have that supersized comfort, a lifetime of comfort with your children, with you, walking with you through life and through everything. That's why Psalm 68, verse 5 and 6 says that God is a father of the fatherless. He's a judge of the widows. And he sets the solitary in families. (laughs) He wants you to be a part of the church family because he doesn't want you to be alone. And that's why church is so important. That's why a local church is so awesome. Because you get to be a part of a church family. You get to be plugged in and a part of something and share life with those who share life with you. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and we'll close here. Amen, amen. God desperately wants to be your father. He does. He gave his only begotten son to die for your redemption, your adoption into the family of God. In 2 Corinthians 6 and 18, the Lord says, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and you will be my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. That's his desire. He wants you to join the family. So on this Mother's Day, I'm just going to ask if you would bow your head with me. I won't embarrass anyone. I would never do that. But with your head bowed and eyes closed, I'm just going to ask if I won't come back to you or anything like that. I just want to ask, is there someone here you'd like to join the family of God? Maybe you haven't ever asked Jesus to come into your heart in life. And here this morning, you, you want to make a complete commitment. Or perhaps you, you went to church knew the Lord, but you know you're not where you need to be with God, and you'd like to rededicate your life to the Lord today. So if you'd like to give your heart to Him for the first time, or just to rededicate your heart again to the Lord, if you'd slip your hand up right where you are, and just say, while eyes are closed, just say, that's me. I want to make that commitment to Jesus today. Give my heart to Him. Just slip your hand up right where you are. Right where you are right where you are. Praise the Lord. Just say, I want to give my life to him. I I know God bless you, sir. Someone else, another, just slip your hand up. Well, no one looking around. Just slip your hand up and say just real quickly, that's me. That's me. I see that hand. Someone else, you slip your hand up. Say, that's me. I want to make that commitment. I see God bless your heart. That's so awesome. Amen. Well, we want to help those who have lifted their hand to receive Christ or to rededicate their life to the Lord. We want to help them. Would you lift your head with me and look this way? How many of you want to help them? Well, we're going to help them. We're not, and we're going to do it this way. Some people say, you know, that you've got to come to the altar to get saved. But I know that's not true because... Uh, I gave my heart to the Lord in my car. <laughs> How many of you have been saved somewhere outside of church? Anybody? And so I know that the, when you turn your heart to Him and you pray that prayer, He receives it. It's, you don't have to jump through hoops to be saved. You just have to repent and ask Him into your heart. The, the Bible tells us that the story of the prodigal son, that when he was away from God, that he turned his heart toward home and he started home. But while he was yet a long way off, This is a type of the Father's love for us. 
his father ran and met him. And on the way, he grabbed his robe, shoes for his feet, and the ring for his finger that called him a son. Why, he didn't even make him come back to the father's house before he got saved. He ran and met him. So today, we're going to run and meet you. You lifted your hands. We're just going to walk with you back to the house. Hallelujah. We're going to walk with you. So we're all going to pray out loud this prayer, especially those who raise their hand, but we're all going to join you. We want to walk with you. Let's pray this prayer out loud together right now, would you? Mighty God, mighty God, once more, mighty God, mighty God, I know you love me. I know you love me. I believe with all my heart. You died for me. You died for me. On the cross. You rose from the dead. You rose from the dead. Come into my life. Forgive me. Receive me. And change me. Now take the rest of my life. And use me for your honor and for your glory. Thank you for saving me. The Bible says, if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart, I shall be saved. The Bible cannot lie. I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. Hallelujah. Come on, can we give the Lord a great praise offering? Oh, come on. Magnify him. Love him. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Happy Mother's Day to everyone.